hear the word. You've got to be hungry, amen? Yes, good to see you. Well, I, I am excited to, be, to start these in Southport. Um, some of you know me. Some of you might not have a clue who I am. But um, God, God has put it on my heart to just, it's time to get this nation saturated in the word. And, and one of the ways we want to do that is we, we, we just want to start stepping up the level of word that's, that's going out. So we're, we're getting meetings going around the country and Tony and Pam are working with me and some of the others. And uh, this is one of those. Uh, we, we, we're in Warrington. Uh, I've got things going in the, in the Midlands. And uh, some of them are Saturday morning Bible courses like today's going to be. So the, teach, the focus is teaching in these. So we do, we do three sessions. And that's because I believe the level of word needs to increase in this nation. And people need an understanding of the Word of God. And not only that, but um, to have truths that they've already heard. Sometimes people know things, but people need to have truths that they have already heard stirred up in them. Uh, because they're not always walking in things. And uh, how, many, how, yeah, how many of you have heard the term awakening? Uh, I believe it's time for revival in this nation. I believe it's time for God. And this is why we're we doing this. Because... I don't know about you, I'm not satisfied with waiting around another 30, 40, 50 years to get this country into the Word of God. We, that's why, you know, if we, we're not going to continue at the pace we're going. We're going to pick up the pace and, and, and just start getting. I want to get every village, every town, every city in this nation just getting teaching, teaching, and the move of the Spirit. So the Saturday mornings we teach. And then what we do as well is I do a second type of meeting, which is we do either on a Friday or Saturday night, which is focused on kind of stirring people for the move of the Spirit, uh, flowing with the Holy Spirit, as well as teaching. Uh, and we do worship and things like that as well. So two different types of meetings. At the moment in Southport, we're just starting the, the, the Bible courses. But, you know, as they grow and as things happen. And, and these meetings are open to people from all churches. This, this is for the city. This is for the region. Amen? We're finding in Warrington, which we've, we've had Warrington going for a while now, it's drawing people from all over around the area. And then we're gonna, we'll start meetings in different places as well because, uh, because it's time for a revival and awakening. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, and you all said, yes, you've heard the term awakening. Awakening means to wake up. Wake up. How many of you understand that when Jesus told the parable of the ten virgins, uh, they all went to sleep? All 10 of them. We often talk about the five foolish and the five wise and how the five wise were prepared. But actually, all 10 of them went to sleep. And, and they went out a cry uh, saying the bridegroom's about to come or he's here. And, and, and what had to happen? They had to wake up. There had to be a stirring to wake up and awakening. I've heard people say that, you know, well, revival's not scriptural. Well, I can tell you waking up is. And one of the words, the meanings of the word revival to become conscious again. It's not just to, so it's awakening. But you see, in Peter, uh, in, it, I think it's First Peter, he talks about, it might be Second Peter, one of the two Peters. He talks about the fact that, I think it must be Second Peter because it's the one he's writing when he says he's about to put off his tent yeah. and, 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 and go back to go to be with the Lord. And he said, he said that, he said, as long as I'm in this tent, my body, Stir you up by reminding you. Stir you up. That word stir you up in the original language means wake you up fully. Awakening. 
And he says, I will wake you up. How? By bringing you some new revelation you've never heard before? No. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake you up by, by bringing you the latest thing. No, he says, I'm going to wake you up by reminding you of, of truths you already know and should be walking in. And that's what we're going to do. Is we, we're going to be talking about, most of you probably know that, that this course is on the spirit of the Lord is upon. We're going to be talking about some things about that. But I, I believe it's time for, for believers to start stirring up and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their lives and beginning to understand the potential of, of what God has given us and what God's made available to us. You realize many, many Christians are not walking in the full potential. Many Christians, I believe many Christians are walking way below the standard of what is possible and what they could, can be walking in. And uh, it's, t- it's time. It's time to rise up to the standard. It's time to begin to understand. Now, you know, I, I've, I've preached the word for many years, but something a, a little bit in the last couple of years, something has stirred inside of me that's probably, I say things maybe a bit bolder than I used to even and, and a bit differently, but I do believe it's time. And, and, and it's time to start stirring up and awakening believers in, in a number of areas. And one is the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the truths of the Spirit of the Lord is upon. And walking in that and what it's going to take. See, I don't teach the Word just to give people notebooks full of information. Now, I, I'm, I'm looking at all the people taking notes. Please take notes. <laughs> that, that was not a criticism against notes. Take the notes. <laughs> But it, it, and please do, because it does remind you of things. It's good to take notes. But I, I'm not just doing this. Give us notebooks full of information. We want hearts full of revelation. And, and, and you see, the, 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 the goal of teaching, anyone know what the, the purpose of a teacher is? What am I here? What, what is a teacher trying to do? Train? Instruct? What's the purpose of training and instruction? What? What, what, okay, let me put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way. If you don't know what you're aiming at, how do you, how do you know you ever, when you get there? If you don't know what you're trying to do, many people are teaching without any clue what they, why they're teaching. This is why they run around teaching all kinds of things out of the Bible that, that, that are probably not really the most important thing people need to hear. You know, praise God, I love to know where the dinosaurs fit in with Scripture, but it's not really going to change my life right now. <laughs> okay? All right? Anyway, that's not a direct criticism on someone who wants to talk about where the dinosaurs come from. But what's the purpose of teaching? Why? Why are you teaching the Word? Well, one of the things you're doing is you're trying to bring understanding. Not just knowledge, not just information, understanding. Now, Matthew, when Matthew told the parable of the sower, does anyone know the parable of the sower? When Jesus sowed the seed into different types of ground, Usually, we, we often quote that out of Mark, but Matthew told, uh, gave us accounts of the same parable. And one of the things Matthew highlights is that the, the ground, the bad ground, uh, where the seed was either uh, by the wayside or w- whatever, it's taken away. One of the things Matthew highlights is, is the lack of understanding. It says they, the, the seed was sown and they did not understand. And the good ground, it says he did understand, or they did understand. So this is a factor in, in, in the Word of God being able to produce in your understanding. And, and, and so important, many people are hearing teaching, but they're not getting understanding. 
And you see, when you don't understand it, the enemy can, can take it away. I'll get to my topic in a minute to just to, to, to circle around a little bit. But stir, the first one, yes, we want to stir up some people in, in, some, in, in some particular areas. But you see, one of the other goals of a teacher is to produce doers. The, the aim of a teacher is to produce a doer. See, my job is not done as a teacher just because you walk out the door with knowledge. If I don't see that knowledge transferred into living it and action and experience, then I know my job is not done and we still need to teach that topic more. What am I looking for in, in, in the lives of the people I teach? I'm looking for those, the, the, the truth to begin to transform behavior. And, and for those things to show up in people's lives. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, as I said a moment ago, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're not seeing that as much as we should in the body of Christ. There's a lot of people that talk about the Holy Spirit and talk about some things about the Spirit, but I'm not necessarily seeing things showing up and manifesting and flowing in people's lives. And, 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 I, and I'm going to be honest with you on some other things. I, I just This is my personal observation. Uh, you might think I'm wrong. You might have a different opinion on the matter. But I personally feel like there seems to be a lesser flow of the Holy Spirit in a lot of places today than there was 5 or 10, 20 years ago. A lot of churches, even in this nation, I mean, I'm not talking about other countries. I'm talking about around here. There's a stirring. There's a hunger. There's an awakening for revival. But when you look at a lot of church services, there's, there's not much flow happening. There's lots of entertainment, there's lots of loud noise, there's lots of all kinds of things, and, and, and praise God, they can do it how they want to, but there seems to be a lack of flow of the Spirit of God. And I, I you know, again, I'm not trying to criticize individuals, except this one, the move of the Spirit of God here, amen. Talking in general terms, like I said, you know, there's different cases, and, 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 and someone might disagree with me. You might think, no, I see the Holy Spirit flowing in every church. But my personal observation is, is, is we, we, we're, not, we're not really experiencing a large amount of the flow, especially when I read about the moves of God in history. And when I see this, what God has done and manifested through people uh, in times gone past. Now, praise God, I, I'm excited about reading about revivals in other countries, but I'm talking this country. The move of God that this country has experienced in the past. And, and, and the flow of the Holy Spirit through people in the past, I look and I just say, something's just not quite anywhere near the level right now. But I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not, I'm not going to sit down and say, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. Oh, well, you know, oh, it's just one of those things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin, the Bible talks about people who hunger and thirst and begin to cry out for things. See, there's some people that just say, well, the Lord's not moving. There's nothing we can do. Let's just sit and we'll just wait for the Lord to move. And there's other people that begin to say, God, I'm hungry. We're not seeing it. I'm hungry for some things. You, you, you remember Gideon? Gideon, when the angel appeared to him, one of the things Gideon said is, where are the miracles that my forefathers talked about? Where, where are they? We're not seeing them. And that to me is someone who's beginning to think and cry out and hunger a little bit for some things. So I'm hungry. And, 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 and again, we are going to see this nation transformed by the power of God, by revival fire, by the word of God. And, and, and I'm going to preach bolder and stronger. 
Are we going to because I'm ready to take fire to this nation more and more and more and pick up the pace even more. Because if you know, I'm not going to sit around and wait for the next guy to do it. Are we going to get on and do it? <laughs> yes, because it's time. And like I said, I'm, I'm not going to settle back. You know, I, I don't know if you've heard of um, Ronald Bonker and, and his passion for Africa. Af he used, what did he used to say? Africa shall be saved. Blood washed Africa. I, look, I, I looked at that and I thought, well, if he can say that for, for Africa, we can say that for England. Talk about a blood washed, word saturated United Kingdom. And he was driven by that vision his whole life. So I'm, I'm, that's, that, you know, hey, Lord, I volunteer. If you want someone, I'll do it. But we are not gonna, we are not gonna settle back until we have a word-saturated, spirit-saturated nation, a revived church that's moving with the things of God. Amen. Whew. Good to teach to a responsive crowd because then you get a bit excitement. I could preach on revival all day, and I, but I what, do want to get to my topic a little bit. But that just stirs you up a little bit about why we're doing these things. This is not just another Bible course along the way of Bible courses. So, in fact, when I started these, you know, I thought to myself when, 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 when I first started some of these meetings, you know, I've got a natural mind too. And I, I thought to myself, no one's going to show up. <laughs> Who's going to show up? And, and you know what? God has been faithful every single time. Every meeting we've done, we've stepped out in faith and just people have arrived. And come drawn in from different churches a lot of the times. And, and, and then once we start things, we're just seeing progressive increase and growth and spreading. And, 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 and we're like, okay, God, you just go ahead and do it. But, I, but one of the things I've seen, even in, in these Bible courses, is people coming who've already been to Bible school. And yet they're hungry. That's why we, this isn't like a Bible school. We just run these courses. They're open to everyone. They're free. Let's get the word of God. Amen? So it's a, a little bit different. But it's, got, it's high quality teaching is what we're aiming for in these. Whew. The Spirit of the Lord is upon. That's what, that's what this is about. And I had that on my heart. In Warrington, we've been preaching on the miraculous, miracles, the power of God. So this is, this is a very related subject, but, 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 but we want to specifically focus on some things related to the Spirit upon and uh we, we need to we need to get a hold of this we need to understand this and, and and like i said begin to walk in it because because uh just to remind you i i, I don't believe we're reaching our full potential i don't believe we're walking in a jet but you know what god believes we can god looks at us you know what god god like, i'll get to my topic if that God has said in Scripture will be fulfilled. Yeah. Come on. Everything. And, and, and some of you, when I've preached in this church, you've heard me say this, but I'm just going to repeat this. But, but I've, I personally believe we are living in a day of fulfillment. We're living in a day when God wants to bring things to pass. Uh, again, I don't know about you, but a, a couple of years ago, something just shifted in the inside of me, and, 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 and I just felt like I entered a new phase of some things. There were things that God was, was, was stirring up. And, and just like with those 10 virgins that cry going out saying it's time to get ready for the, the, for the bridegroom. But, but in, order for, in order for some things to happen, fulfillment has to take place. 
every you know the Bible talks about the the, the 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 fulfilling of everything that's been spoken by the prophets, and there are some things spoken about that need to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back. Uh, the Bible says he is coming back for he's going to present to himself a glorious church, and so the church has got to rise up to become that, and and, and uh, there's other things that are going to be fulfilled, and. And, and we are living in the generation, I believe, where God wants to fulfill some of these things. But you know what? That, that, that excites me. Because when I look at that, I, when I think about that, and to think about, that tells me this. That tells me God believes we can do it. God believes we can rise up to the level. Do you know that? All the way back before the beginning of time, way back before God created human human beings or anything, the Father had a plan. You, you look in Ephesians and other places, it talks about the the, the plan that the Father had, and, and uh, I believe I believe in that plan. He he, he always saw the, the end from the beginning. He saw the whole thing. He planned it all out, and he always planned some things to take to place, he to, to come to pass and to take place. He said that he that the church will come to a place of maturity. He talks about the the, the, the church and the, it, it, the one Ephesians three, I think it is, talks about being filled with the fullness of God. The scriptures which talk about the glory of God and the manifestation of the glory of God. People say, "Well, I've heard about the glory of God, but where is it?" You know, it's not well. Okay, yes, Christ in us, the hope of glory, other things like that. But you, but you know what? How many of you understand? We are, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, individually, but also corporately. I am an individual temple of the Holy Spirit, but together we are each bricks in the temple of the Holy Spirit that He's building, the corporate temple. And the Bible talks about the fact that He is building us together. We are living stones. I'm like, it's amazing. God, God can make me a temple and a priest and a brick in another in, in the bigger temple. God's incredible. He can do all of that. But but that's that was just a side thought. But in, 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 in terms of the temple that he's building, I was thinking about this one day and I thought, well, you know, is God just gonna be building this temple for the rest of you know forever? Is it, is it ever going to reach a point where he says, okay, the temple's complete now? He's been building it for a while, isn't he? Well, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, eschatology and the temple and all these. I'm talking about us. We're the temple right now, okay? That's that's what I'm focusing on right now. But we are being built together to, 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 to a, the Bible says, to, to, to be a spiritual house. Well, whose house? house is the place you live. If we're being built together to be a spiritual house, whose house? God's house. Well, God's house is a temple. That's what a temple is. It's the house, it's the house of God. So all of this works together. And I thought to myself, okay, well, that's great. We're being built together. But is, is this just a perpetual build, 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 Never, never reach completion. I thought to myself, no, God's not like that. Do you know that God brings things to completion? And, and, and in the Old Testament, he's given us examples of what happened when the temple reached completion. What happened when they finished building Moses' tabernacle? 
the glory filled it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened when they when 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 they finished building Solomon's temple? The glory filled it. Now, why would God give us those two examples of completed temple projects? And then tell us, I'm building you into a temple. And he talks about the glory, the glory a lot. Now, we've got the glory in us, but I'm telling you something. There, there is something coming at the completion. There is a manifestation of the glory of God that will that, 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 kick in at the completion of the temple. And we've, we've got some of it now, but I believe that, man, that there is something that we're going to step into. And, and, and again, I don't believe it's far away. I don't believe we're talking hundreds of years still. I don't believe we, we I believe I believe there's a stirring of the spirit of God that is showing us it's time. We're getting ready. We need to start moving into some things. But 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 you know, it's like I said, there are a lot of people that just think God's just gonna move randomly when he wants to move. But you need to understand this, you need to realize this. That that there are times that that's happened, but through Scripture, God always shows that what He's looking for is a people that will cooperate with Him and will respond and will flow with Him. God's ideal is not just to move randomly with nobody involved. God's ideal is to raise up a people who know how to respond to and flow with Him. And, 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 and as He does, He takes them into greater things. See, children of Israel got, got so far, but they were not cooperative with God in the wilderness. It's the generation that cooperated that went deeper into some things. Which generation do you want to be? The, the ones who resist God or the ones who cooperate? Because when we begin to cooperate, I believe we'll see a much greater manifestation of the Spirit of God. And what God is wanting to do in our day is not just pour out His Spirit randomly in some place. He's wanting to cooperate with his church, with the body of Christ, as we rise up and to enter into some things. So, but in order for that to happen, his spirit is speaking some things, and we've got to begin to respond to those things. And as we respond, he takes us up a level, up a level, up a level, up a level. Into, into a lot more. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let's get back to the spirit of the Lord is upon. How many of you understand that when, when, when the, the woman with the issue of blood, now understand, I'm assuming people, everybody here has, has a bit of understanding and knowledge of some of the Bible stories. Hopefully you do. But the woman with the issue of blood came in the crowd behind and touched Jesus' garment. Yes? Now, she was healed. This is in Mark 5. She was healed. And when she was healed, Jesus said to her, what, does anyone know what Jesus said to her? Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Was that all there was to it? Was it, was it all about her faith? Okay, now you say, oh, why? Well, faith and action, okay, but that comes under the faith category because for faith to work, there must be action. Now, I believe in faith. I believe God wants a people who believe Him, who walk in faith. I preach faith. I believe 
that, that, that God wants people who respond to him in faith and his word. And, and he's raising us up in the devil. But, but, but there's a bit more in that passage. When that woman's faith touched Jesus, she came into contact with power on him. The Bible says power flowed out of him. Why? Why did power flow out of Jesus? She demanded it. Okay, she spoke. There's another factor as well. Power flowed out of Jesus. Yes, her faith switched it on, but power flowed out of Jesus because there was power on Jesus to flow. <laughs> that's a bit obvious, and I know that's you were thinking about the woman. Okay? Why? Why was the power upon Jesus to flow? Because he, he, was, he, he was anointed by the Spirit of God. We, we, we're told this truth. Acts 10 to 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And you've got Jesus himself and Luke 4 stands up and says, quoting Isaiah, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus was a vessel clothed in, in the Spirit of the Lord and the power of the Lord was upon him. And when people's faith came into contact with the power that was upon him, things happened. Amen? Now, a lot of times, all of us as Christians have direct, act, direct access to the throne room of God. We can come, and we've, and, and we've taught that. I believe that. I don't have a problem with that truth. Every one of us can come directly to God. Yes? The problem is many believers don't know how to. And many believers are struggling to come into contact with power. They're reaching up, but they're just finding they're not coming into contact with much power. Anyone ever been there? Now, yes, we, we keep speaking the word. We keep applying our faith. And again, I, I believe in faith. I preach faith. I teach faith. I want to look at the other side of some things right now. There's two factors that released that miraculous into her life. Her faith and the anointing that was upon Jesus. But Jesus was a vessel walking on this earth clothed with the power of God. See, there's a big difference between me touching heaven and drawing the power of God and coming into contact with the power of God, which we all can do because we've got boldness to access the throne room of God. He's given us access. But the fact is many Christians really struggle to do that. They struggle to come into contact directly with God for themselves and have the power flow. Now, we have access, we can. But many are struggling to. You know what they need? Sometimes a lot of people need a vessel on this earth that has already come into contact with that power. It's a lot easier sometimes to come into contact with, 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 with someone right here, tangible, that has the Spirit of the Lord upon them, then, then some people struggling to try to reach up and come into contact with God. Now, potentially we can all be walking close to God and touching heaven. And we should be. Amen? But the fact is, many are not. Many are dependent upon another vessel. 
that their faith could come into contact with the power upon someone else. Well, here's the good news. In, again, in the new covenant, we all have the potential. We, we should all be clothed in the, in, in, in the spirit of the Lord. And we're going to look at some of the scriptures for that. But, but many times that power is not, and that's, that, that flow of the spirit is just not happening through a lot of believers. Let's, let's talk, let's just be real here. <laughs> Why is it not happening? Well, some of this we're going to look at. I can't just one quick answer. But part of it is because I believe to a large degree we have been walking on a lower level. We've been functioning on a lower level. And, and, and a lot of the time it's the carnal realm. The enemy has, has managed to trap us in a carnal realm and carnal Christianity and get us caught with some things. And on that level, very often, the flow of the Spirit cannot move through our lives. It becomes blocked. Why is he trying to call us up onto a higher level? Because he wants that, us to come up to that place where we can be vessels that his Spirit flows through. Now, imagine... Imagine what faith can do. What can faith do? Move mountains. Chain, faith can do some incredible things. Faith, faith, Jesus said all things are possible to him who believes. <laughs> so faith can do some pretty impressive stuff. What can the anointing and the spirit do? Faith on one side. Move mountains, do the impossible. All things are possible to him who believes. On the other side, you've got the anointing, the flow of the Spirit of God. What can that do? You look at the, the manifestation of the glory of God through people like Moses and others. And what happens when you can combine both? And both are flowing the way they should be. Wow, in my What can happen if God can raise up a people who get their faith up to the level of no impossibility faith and then have the free flow of the anointing of the Spirit of God through their life like and should be? Many people are dependent upon one or the other. What happens when we get them combined? Oh, my word. You talk about potential of what can happen. This is why we need to learn to do both and understand both. There's a lot we can achieve with our faith, but there's a lot we can achieve if we'll step into the flow of the Spirit of God and rise up to the place where the Holy Spirit can manifest and flow through us like He wants to and like He should, rather than being blocked up and very little happening. Just, just be honest. Amen? Yes, by faith the Holy Spirit moves through us, but let's be honest. Let, let's actually have the Holy Spirit move through us. <laughs> Walking up that place in that realm where these things ha happen in our lives. And this is what's supposed to happen. This is what's supposed to happen. This is what God wants to happen. And this is the place that we are supposed to be walking in. Amen. Now let's 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 look at a couple of scriptures. John chapter fourteen. I find more and more. I I, I get up here with a plan to talk about, and then we just I, I don't even talk about that half the time. <laughs> But I think this is, this is the first one we're doing in Southport of these. 
it's also good to just the first session will give you a bit of a stir up. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And then you stirred up already, but you, I mean, you, you stir, we can get always get more stirred up, can't we? Amen. Where did I say John? John. John 14. Actually, I think I've opened the wrong set of notes. One thing else. Let me get that scripture. That's the set of notes that I want. Right, John. Now, how many of you have ever heard about some things in John 14? I'm just going to give a little bit of foundation of teaching. I'll try to stay on topic. John, John chapter 14, 15, and 16 is, is the verse, is the passages where Jesus says quite a lot of things about the Holy Spirit. Now, he says other things in there as well, but he keeps coming to the Holy Spirit and talks about the, 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 um, uh, the, the, the Spirit of truth, and he'll teach you and he'll guide you into all things. Amen? In these passages. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I just want to read, read one uh, or two verses out of it. John 14 and verse 16. John 14 and verse 16 and 17 says this. Some of you have probably heard these verses before says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, uh, well, actually, he's, he's about to say it, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. So who is the helper he's talking about? He's the spirit of truth. So he makes it very clear who he's talking about. And I often say to people, when the Bible makes something clear, you don't have to dig deeper to try and find some mysterious truth. If it's plainly stated, it's plainly stated. Amen. Some people go deep, dig deeper beyond what God was actually saying and find things that God never put there. Okay. But that's another thought. Anyway, he tells you, he's talking about the spirit of truth. And, and it, like I said, in, in, in the surrounding chapters, 14, 15, 16, he talks a lot. He keeps coming back to the Holy Spirit and, 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 and on various applications. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for... Now, what is it? What does he say? Now, he, 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 for he dwells with you and will be in you, in you, with and in. Two very small little words, two very important little words. Yeah. We call those kind of with prepositions. If anyone remembers their grammar, in, on, you know, at, those kind of words, little words. You realize they're actually a lot more, they're pretty important in the English language, okay? Uh, because some of them help us locate where something is. And uh, they, they're not insignificant. And I, 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 it's very important that we recognize where in this passage does he say the Holy Spirit will be? Where? In. In. Now, where, what, what does in mean? In. <laughs> and, and, and there's other passage where he talks, uh, he, he adds a little bit more, he says, dwell in you. In. Or within is another word that goes with that as well, yes? So, so we are currently in this room. That's our location. Is that right? Now, uh, he, he, you know, well, I'm not going to talk about he will dwell with you. He also says with, yeah? Now, we could spend time there. there there's a lot of truth there in, in the, the, the power of the reality of the Holy Spirit is with me. Uh, he, 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 his presence. And, you know, faith comes by 
and hearing. Okay, so, so for faith to come, it's not just hearing. It's watching in that verse, yes, doing it well, but for, that, that's, that's usage of faith. But for faith to come, according to that, that, that one we've just quoted, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. This is what, this is what I want to emphasize. The other answers are all good, but, but in this, I want to emphasize in this, in this by hearing and hearing by the word. In other words, what's going to produce faith? Is, is, it some, is it someone's human opinions? Is it someone's ideas about God that don't necessarily line up with the Bible, but they still sound good? Paul said, I did not come to you preaching the wisdom of man, but I came in, in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. He's just said, I didn't come to you preaching the wisdom of man. Why? Because Paul knew if I preach the wisdom of man to you, you ain't going to get the kind of faith you need. Yes? It's just a bit on the side for free about faith. So, so the word of God imparts and produces faith in your life. It, it can birth it in you as a seed and then it can explode it and grow it and water it and make it bigger as well. And, and, and build that faith into you as you get the word of God into you. So when we read the scripture, he dwells with you. Allow that to, to stir faith in your heart. Respond to the scriptures. Grab that scripture. And, and, and we apply our faith to it and begin to say, yes, I believe he's with me. See, we, we apply our faith to what the scripture says. He's with me. And, and begin to believe that and respond to it. And, okay, amen? No matter whether you feel it or not. Okay? It's, it's not all about when you feel the tingles. Some people just think the Holy Spirit showed up when the tingles showed up and the goose pimples. <laughs> now, that might have been some kind of manifestation of the Spirit, but he's with, he's with us. Okay? Now, you know, when, 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 uh, when, when God was speaking to Moses and Moses said, well, God had said, go into, go into uh, Egypt. And remember, Moses said, and he was getting all the excuses. And one of the things that God said is, I will be with you. In other words, doesn't really matter about all your inabilities, Moses. I'll be with you. Now, did that mean to Moses, I will be with you in theory? Did Moses need to walk into Pharaoh's court and, and, and God just be with him in theory? But nothing actually happened. No, he needed a reality, didn't he? He needed God to actually show up. In Scripture, I'm with you is more than just a nice comforting poem to put on a three little words, the Lord is with you. Oh, let's all be comforted. Yes, I'm mocking. No, I'm not. But yes, I am, I suppose, to a degree. But it's more than just comforting words. This is a reality to put your faith in, to begin to believe that he is with me and apply yourself to this truth. When God came to, to Gideon and Gideon said, I'm the most insignificant of the least of the youngest of the, the worst, whatever he said, tribe, the lowest of the lowest of the low. God said, I will be with you. That, that, this truth is revealed a number of times in the old covenant of what it means to have God with you. What did it mean to Gideon that, that, that God was with him? 
Then did it mean that God is going to show up? Yes. It wasn't just a theory. Did God say to Joshua? When Joshua is about to take over the leadership from Moses, can you imagine trying to fill those shoes? How'd you like to be the next leader after Moses? <laughs> and the people are like, he split Red Seas and brought water out of rocks. What are you? <laughs> I do not want to be the next leader after that. You look at yourself and think, I've got, I've got nothing. But God said at the beginning of Joshua, he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now, God believes that that truth was enough to give Joshua confidence because he wanted Joshua to be walking in his confidence in the God who's with me rather than my own strength and abilities. Now, this is a truth we still need to get a hold of a lot. We still rely a lot on ourselves and what we can do. Okay? So that's one truth about the Holy Spirit. He's with me. He's with me. What was the next one in there? He's with you and will be in. In. Now, make note of that word in. And go to uh, Luke. 24. Luke 24. I tend to lose track of how long I've been preaching. But I'll try to keep track. The, the, the aim is to have three sessions. We have a break and a little bit of coffee and stuff and come back for some more. But if, if I lose track of time and just preach for three hours, just forgive me, okay? <laughs> Luke 24. Now, now, does anyone know the passage we've just read in John 14, John 14, 15, and 16, when approximately in Jesus' ministry did he say that to, did he speak that to his disciples? So just before he went to the cross, yes? So just before, I don't know whether how many days, weeks, but shortly before, so this is toward the end of his three and a half years, but shortly before he goes to the cross, he, he gives them this revelation and this truth about the Holy Spirit in you and with you. Now, the scripture they're about to read, Jesus spoke this after his resurrection. So this is a separate discussion, separate record. It's something different. It, 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 it's still about the Holy Spirit, but these take place on two separate occasions. Now, before I read it, before I read it, you're re reading ahead of me. What's he going to read? What's he going to read? Before I read it, you used to have to try and encourage people to look in their Bibles. Now you've got to get them to look up at you. <laughs> now, does anyone know who wrote the book of Acts? Apart from the Holy Spirit, you know, but okay. Luke. See, you can tell you guys we've all been to Bible school. So, so the, the same person who wrote the gospel of Luke wrote the book of Acts. It's the same person. It's two volumes, two volumes of the same account. He gives the account of Jesus, and then he gives the, the account of the body of Christ. Two-stage approach Luke, it's, it's what Luke's done. Let me give you a bit more background information. Matthew. Now, Matthew is a very teachery kind of, teacher-focused gospel. He, 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 some of the biggest chunks of the teachings of Jesus are in Matthew. Not all of them, but some of them. There's a couple of times, there's like three chapters of just teachings of Jesus. Now, Matthew, I believe, was a teacher at heart. 
he gives he gives details. He's kind of like a teacher. He keeps quoting that it might be fulfilled. He's lining everything up. This happened that it might be fulfilled with this that was spoken. He he gets every all his dots all his T's and whatever it's called. Dots all his crosses all his T's. He gets all his details in. And it's also you can tell he's a teacher because it's the longest gospel as well, isn't it? He just goes on and on. Okay, <laughs> right now. <laughs> <No. laughs> Okay. Now, Matthew, when, when he recorded the, what we call the Great Commission, which is, which, is, which is after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus gave some instructions to his disciples, didn't he? And those instructions, very often we quote the one in Mark, which is go you into all the world and preach the gospel. And people say, yes, that's the Great Commission. I'm like, yes, it's part of the Great Commission. Because actually the Great Commission is found by looking at what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and possibly even John said. Because they all record it, and well, certainly three of them, they all record, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I can't remember John right now, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record some of the things Jesus said after his resurrection and his instructions to his disciples. It's like pieces of a puzzle. To get the full instruction, you've got to put them all together. Okay? Now, Mark, I'll come back to Matthew in a minute. Mark is evangelistic. Preach. That's why the gospel's so short. Yeah. Matthew's long. He just goes on and on and on. Mark is do, 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 do. Come on, everybody get saved. We're giving an altar call now. Preacher like, yeah? Right. He doesn't go into a lot of details. He gives the highlights. Yes, he, he does give the detail of a couple of things like the parable of the sower. But when Mark records the Great Commission, he emphasizes preach the gospel. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. Go get saved. Believe or not believe. Now, Matthew, when he records the Great Commission, he says, anyone know? Teach them and make disciples of all nations. And why does Matthew say it like that? Because he's a teacher at heart. I think when he heard Jesus talking this, what quickened in his heart was the teachings out of it. Because it, 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 that was his heart and his passion. Now, I've had people say, well, you know, you guys, you guys go teach the church. We'll go fulfill the Great Commission and go preach. I'm like, I don't even know what the Great Commission is, if that's what you think. Because yeah. the Great Commission is not just to preach, it's also to teach and to disciple. We ain't fulfilling it until we put the pieces of the puzzle together. That's not to say don't go preach. Yes, we must. But the Great Commission is all of it. I'm fulfilling the Great Commission right now. Amen. Luke, on the other hand, we're going to read it in a minute. Now, if, if you know much about Luke's gospel, Tony teaches the New Testament literature, but, but Luke places a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. In fact, he, 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 Luke talks a lot, really shows Jesus in his dependence upon God. He, he prays his prayer life. And it's interesting because Luke, the same things Luke shows about the life of Jesus, he also emphasizes in Acts. So he emphasizes Jesus' prayer life, and then he emphasizes the church in Acts praying. They parallel each other. He shows the same qualities in Jesus 
are necessary in the church in Acts. That's why it does a two-volume book. He does the same thing with it, it, it's, it was Luke who recorded Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It was Luke who talked about Jesus came out of the wilderness uh, or came back to Galilee, I think it was, in the power of the Spirit. You constantly see the Spirit mention things and he attributes things to the Holy Spirit. And he shows the Holy Spirit flowing through Jesus' life far more than the other Gospels. Okay? So Luke clearly had a passion for the Holy Spirit, as amongst other things. And he recognized that in order for the church to be what it was in Acts, it had to have that same flow of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had through him in, in, in the Gospels. Now, the move of the Holy Spirit, the flow of the Holy Spirit, is one of the, one of the truths that gets attacked more than anything else because it's one of the things the enemy wants to shut down. There's more confusion over, on, on doctrines and teachings on the Holy Spirit than possibly any, anything else. Because if the enemy can cloud this in enough confusion, he gets a lot of people to back off. And also, if people start to believe the confusion and the error and don't function in the truth, they're going to just end up with man's intellectual ideas with no power and no faith in it. Okay? So it's vital. Now, this is what I want you to see. Matthew emphasized teaching. Mark emphasizes preaching. Luke emphasizes, do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to put all... What is the Great Commission? The Great Commission is not just us going out in our own strength, preaching and teaching and giving our own information out of our own strength. Luke reveals it has to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he reveals the role that the Holy Spirit must take in this. And we can't ignore that truth. We've got, to, we've got to get a hold of what he's trying to show us. And it's interesting because he's the only one that God used to pen of sin. Not, not Matthew the teacher. He didn't write the history of the church. You would have thought so. <laughs> yeah? yeah? God doesn't always use the person you expect he's going to use. We think having natural abilities is where God's going to use you best. There's even teachings around the body of Christ like that. Find out where your natural abilities are, and that's what God's going to use you. Really? How, how come he used most trained Pharisee who knew Jewish ways to go and reach the Gentiles, and he raised up a fisherman to reach the Jews? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Who would you put as treasurer if you were Jesus? I'd put the guy who had a history of working with taxes. Matthew. God doesn't always use the person with, in your, your area of skills. In fact, sometimes he uses you where you have no skills. So that you depend upon him and let his power flow through you. Okay. But Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and John never wrote the second volume. The one who emphasized the Holy Spirit did. There's something to learn in that. Now, let's look at this, what he says in 24. Now, actually, one more, one more added piece of information. 
it's a Bible course. We can give you some information as well as stir you up, yeah? What I'm about to read you, remember, Luke wrote Acts. Now, interestingly, Luke, um, he the exact same event that he starts Acts chapter 1 with is the exact same event that he ends Luke 24 with. He, he repeats. And wh what is that? It's, it's the final instructions Jesus gave his disciples, and then Jesus ascends up into heaven. Many of us have read it out. And it's the passage where Acts chapter 1, where he talks about, um, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Anyone ever heard that one? And he talks about, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, that's Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then verse 9, right after Jesus, according to Luke, Luke quotes what Jesus says, closes, and the very next verse, verse 9, says, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Luke records that as, as the final thing Jesus said, and then he goes up. Yeah? Now remember that when we read what, 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 what Luke's for, uh, what he wrote in Luke, because it's the same person writing it. He's writing the same account of the same events, but he changes it slightly. He changes one word, one key word. Now, why would the same author writing the same set of events change one word? Except to get your attention with the word he's changed. He's not confused. He's not confused what he's writing. He knows what he's doing. Why does he change one word? One key word. He writes it slightly differently, but there's a key, key word change in there that he puts in Luke that he doesn't put in, in Acts. Let's read it. Luke 24. In fact, let's read verse 51 first just to show you. It says, yeah, now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So Jesus goes up into heaven, yeah? So, so just to show you that what happens in the two verses just before this is literally the exact same discussion he records in, in Acts chapter 1. So it's not two separate discussions. Let's go to verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, If you've got a paper Bible, you might want to flick back and forth with Acts 1 and Luke 4 quickly. If you've got a, a digital one. Let me just, because I want you to see the similarities that he, it's the same discussion. Okay, and then I'm going to, I want to emphasize something that he throws in in Luke. Have you, everyone got Acts 1 and Luke 24? Okay, Acts 1 verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Does that sound like what we just read in Luke? Luke 24, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. And, and in fact, Luke 24, 49, he says, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem. You see both things in both discussions. Yeah, It's the same discussion, written by the same person in two, two separate books. So you see, you see what I'm saying? That these parallel each other. Both of them, he says, wait in the city of Jerusalem, will tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Both of them, he talks about the promise of the Father. Okay? Um, 
Luke 24 is a little bit more of a summary, but, uh, and, and Acts 1 probably gives a little bit more detail, but notice what he says in Luke 24, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Okay, I'll come back to that. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are, what's the next word? Clothed is a good translation. Clothed. Clothed. Now, he doesn't say that in Acts 1, does he? All the other truths he mentions in Acts 1 except that word. Now, why would, why would he do that? The only reason I can think of, write it in one place and not in the other when you're covering everything else, is to highlight that word. Notice the missing word and think about what it's about. Okay? Now, that word, your translation says clothed. Mine says endued. Does anyone else? Endued or clothed? Anyone got anything different? Endued. Endued. Okay? Clothed is actually better because actually the original word, the, the original Greek word, you it mean it, it's enduo, which, which I can't pronounce Greek. That's my personal pronunciation. Enduo. So that's where you can see endued. But actually, it means clothed, clothed, clothed. Uh, it means to put on, clothe oneself, clothe oneself. And that exact same Greek word is used over and over and over and over again in the New Testament to talk about clothing, real, actual, physical clothing, not just spiritual clothing. Actual clothing. For example, I'll read these two. Matthew 6, 25. You don't have to turn to them all, but I just want you to see this word being used to refer to clothing. Okay? Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Yeah. That's the same word right there. Yeah. What's he talking about? Clothing. Yeah. Okay? What you'll put on. Um, Matthew 22, verse 11. Again, you don't have to look, turn these up. I'll read them to you. One of, the, one of the parables. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on, that's the word, a wedding garment. See, it's been used to clothing. Clothing. Right? Uh, some others. This one you'll know. Ephesians 6, 11. Put on. The armor of God. Clothing. Yes. Put on. That word on there. Um, Matthew 15. Uh, sorry, Mark 15. I'm not going to read them all to you, but I'm just giving you an idea. Matthew 15. Uh, sorry, Mark 15, 20. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him. On, right there. Is, the, is that same word. What's it? This is when they... Jesus during his trial. Remember, they threw a purple cloak coat over him, and then says they put his own clothes on him. So, do you see it's repetitively used? That exact word is repetitively used to refer to clothing. Clothing. Revelation 1:13. And in the midst of the seven lambs stands one like the Son of Man, clothed. There it is, with a with a garment down to the feet and girded with the chest with a golden band. So that word clothed in Revelation is this Greek word that, he, that Jesus used and Luke used in Luke 24. 
So when you, st- when you look at the word, it's clear it's talking about clothing. Clothing. Now, in John chapter 14, we read at the start, where does Jesus say the Holy Spirit will be? He'll be with you and in you. I don't know about you, but I don't wear my clothes inside me. Where do you wear your clothes? On you. My clothes are inside my being. (laughs) Why is this important? Two different truths. Two different truths. And some of us might know this, but we've got to get clearer on this. There is so much confusion in the body of Christ right now on the Holy Spirit. Okay. If you study the word, you'll find that there are, there are passages which talk about the spirit within you, dwelling in you, and what he does in you. And there are passages which talk about the spirit on you and what he does on you. And, and, and you don't find the truths cross over. They, they don't blend and the Bible doesn't mix the truths up. There's clear passages. Romans chapter 8, which talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, is all about in you. He will dwell in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body. And, that, and, and he who is led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That whole passage is in context of the Spirit in you. This is two separate things Jesus said. In John 14, before going to the cross, Jesus talked to them about the Spirit in them. In Luke 24, after being raised from the dead, Jesus talked about the Spirit clothing them. Two different truths given on two different occasions, referring to two different things. Now again, people get confused. They say, well, yes, you know, but when you read the epistles, you don't see much talk about the Spirit upon. Yeah, but when you read the book of Acts, you don't see much talk about the Spirit within. Acts focuses on the Spirit upon. The epistles talk a lot about the Spirit, what's in us. Why? The Spirit within you is for your benefit. For your life. The leading of the Holy Spirit. Quickening your mortal flesh. Helping put to death the deeds of the body. The spirit on the inside of you is for your personal life. The spirit upon you is an equipping to function for the spirit of God to flow through you. Now, the book of Acts is all about the spread of the church. It's not about all my personal benefits of the Holy Spirit in my life. The book of Acts is a manual about how the church spread. The Holy Spirit working through people. That's why it makes complete sense that the book of Acts focuses on the Spirit upon. Because that's what's necessary in that spread of the church. The apostles spend a lot of time teaching us about the benefits, about what Jesus did at the cross and what he made available to us and what happened in life. 
which is why it focuses, they focus on the spirit within. Does it make sense? But people get so confused over truths about the Holy Spirit. And it's causing so much error in the body of Christ and so many problems. And it's also causing us to not really walk in the power of the Spirit of the Lord upon us. Which is, which is the truth the enemy really wants to suppress. Because that's the one that will shake your environment. Spirit in you, yes, you'll be led, but it's, a lot, it's primarily benefits for your personal life. For you to walk in and grow, which is great, do it. You need to walk in the fullness of that. But the spirit upon. Now, when Jesus stood up in Luke 4 and said, the spirit of the Lord. He didn't say the spirit of the Lord is within me. The spirit of the Lord is within me. That one is about upon. What, what is that passage about? Is that the spirit of the Lord is within me so that I can be led in the things in my life? No, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because of my function, what I'm doing, and he's going to start flowing through me. That's why Jesus, that's why Acts 1.8, that's why Acts 1.8, which most of us know, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses. That manifestation of the Holy Spirit is connected to, 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 the, to, the, to, the, to the spread of the gospel. It's an equipping to get the job done. And this is what, what a lot of us are not walking in. Not, I'm not, not just saying getting the job done. I'm saying the equipping. What did Jesus... I'm going to finish in a minute because we're going to have a break, okay? I'm going to get one more truth out and then we'll have a break. What did Jesus say to his disciples? We read it. He said, tarry in the city of... until you be... endued with power from on high. Now, if you read Mark's gospel, he says, Go. Go. Problem is, have you, ever, have you ever given someone an instruction and before you finish giving them the instruction, they're all trying to fulfill the first part of it and then you're like, hold on, you didn't hear the rest of the instruction. <laughs> okay. God said, go. And we're like, go, 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 go. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't finish the instruction. I still have the rest of the sentence. <laughs> go into all the world and preach the gospel. But before you go, Make sure you've got the equipping of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Don't you dare go until you've got him. Yeah. <laughs> got to work with the flow of the Holy Spirit. So I said, wait in the city of Jerusalem. Now, you know, some people have created all kinds of doctrines about waiting for the Holy Spirit out of that. If you're going to do that, make sure you fulfill the, the, the full instruction, which says wait in the city of Jerusalem. Don't teach a tarrying doctrine without teach a go do it in Jerusalem doctrine. <laughs> okay? Hear the point that he's making, though. He said, make sure you've got the equipping and walk in that. And besides that, they didn't wait that long anyway. It's amazing. People teach waiting for the Holy Spirit, and you see they're waiting 15 years. Anyone know how long they waited? 
Jesus died around which Jewish festival? Passover. Approximately, I'm not going to count which, because some people say the first of the world, however they count Jewish days, we're just going to approximate it in what I'm about to say. Passover. He died around the Passover. Um, the Holy Spirit in Acts was poured out on the day of Pentecost, which was also a Jewish festival. Yeah. Does anyone know how, how far apart Pentecost and Passover were? It, it, the clue's in the name, Pentecost. Yeah. 50. Yeah. Pent is yeah. the word for five. Yeah. 50. Passover, 50 days later, was the day of Pentecost. How many days did Jesus appear to his disciples after his resurrection? Oh, well, well, hold on. How many days was Jesus dead for? Three, okay? Again, however we count it. So he dies around the Passover, three days. And then how many days uh, did he appear to his disciples? Forty. We've now got 43 days have gone past when he ascends into heaven, approximately. 40 to 43, depending on exactly how you count it. How many more days until Pentecost? Seven. Don't tell me they sat waiting in, the, in, in Jerusalem for 10 years. Maximum seven, ma maximum 10 days. Yeah? But Jesus said, make sure you, you've got the Holy Spirit upon you. This is a function that we are supposed to have. This is more than just what the Holy Spirit does in my personal life. And this is something we need to, 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 to be walking in. Amen? Let's, let's take a break. I'm going to have a bit of coffee, and then we'll come back for another session. Um, and we've got some more for you then.